This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 104, and I am interviewing Dr. Steve Prentice, author of Wrecked, about why we are so obsessed with health as a culture, how our culture's obsession with health is making us less healthy, and what you can do about it if you feel like you fit into that category. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this podcast at summerinanin.com forward slash 104. Before we begin, I just want to give a shout out to Oberor, who left this awesome review. This podcast is wonderful for anyone struggling to love themselves the way they are. I haven't reached that point yet, but this podcast is helping me grow in my self-love and acceptance with each episode. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much, Oberar. I really appreciate that. And if you want to leave a review for the show, which I would be so appreciative of, you can go to iTunes, search for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click Ratings and Reviews, and click to leave a review. Leaving a review for this show helps others to find the podcast, which would mean the world to me because we are creating a cultural revolution here. Second, if you haven't already done so, head over to summerinandin.com forward slash freebies to get your copy of the 10 Day Body Confidence Makeover with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. The guest on the show today is Dr. Steve Prentice. He is the author of Wrecked and creator of healthnutrehab.com, a site designed to help the health conscious escape the dangers of health obsession and regain the freedom and joy that was hijacked by health gurus. A practicing chiropractor since 1996, Dr. Prentice has spent his career questioning the status quo and challenging the accepted norms. His experience working with thousands of patients over 20 years led him to create what he termed the stress-centered approach to health, and he now leads his patients through the process of restoring their health and quality of life while rejecting many of the restrictive and obsessive health recommendations of the day. There's some really good stuff in this episode, and I think it's really going to resonate with you, especially if you are newer to this journey and maybe you've just discovered this idea of anti-dieting or you're curious about it, or you still feel yourself being pulled to want to diet or being tempted to diet. This is an episode for you. You're going to love it. It's really going to be helpful for you. So let's get started. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you here today. So I'd love to start by having you tell everyone about what inspired you to write Wrecked. Boy, that's a good question. It came from a lot of different directions. I'd say the first, the primary motivation was going through my own personal experience kind of rocked me a little bit. And, and I'm also a chiropractor, so I, I see patients. And so everything I went through, I was going through in front of them. And I, and I put myself out there as kind of a leader and a mentor. And so it kind of, it's what motivated me was both of those things, my own personal experience, as well as, you know, my patient's well-being. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I can tell you my story if you're interested. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, what's the personal experience? <laughs> well, and, I mean, it was nothing like, you know, I, no, nothing tragic. <laughs> but uh, about in 2007, I decided that because um, at the time I believed that, you know, whether or not someone would lose weight was purely a matter of, you know, commitment and sticking with it and, and, and doing the right thing and being a good boy, you know. So, uh, you know, I finally, you know, after struggling with weight issues most of my adult life, I got to 2007 and I decided, you know what, that's it. I'm going to I'm going to do this not only for me, but I'm going to lead the masses and and showing them how to do it too. And so I had a practice full of people and I started I started doing this diet thing and I was really fired up. So I was sticking with it. And about a month into it, you know, I had dropped some weight and people were starting to ask me about it and hey, what are you doing? And so I decided to uh, do it in front of for everyone's sake. So I created at the time there were really no blogs. Mm-hmm. So I just created an email list and I just anyone who wanted to follow my story could jump on this list. And every Friday I would whip out a, a an update about my journey and I would send it to everyone. And this thing just kind of grew and grew and grew. And it ended up turning into something quite, quite bigger than I ever expected. I had just a lot of people following from all over. I was featured in newspapers. I was on the the Cleveland, uh, you know, primetime news being interviewed. And it just, this thing just blossomed into this whole event. And it, I did this for about a year and I was quote unquote successful. I lost like 70 pounds. Right. So I'm thinking, Hey, I figured this out. Right. So I started preaching to the masses and, uh, and showing everybody, you know, that they could do it too. And, uh, and, and, as I know now, uh, I had no clue back then, but as I know now, I was never <laughs> going to be able to keep those gains or results, I should say, mm-hmm. and proceeded to put it all back on, went through some some family circumstances that were quite tragic and, uh, and, and diet and exercise and weight loss and all the stuff I was so focused on for so long became – you know, I say it was about number 13 on my top 10 list of priorities. <laughs> and so with the focus taken off of that, then it was inevitable. And then you add all, all the stress that I was under. And yeah, the it, it rebounded remarkably fast. And so now not only did I have to endure the whole, you know, beat myself up and the guilt and the, oh gosh, I can't believe I let myself get like this. And, and I went through all that, but not only that, but I got <laughs> everyone I preached to, got to watch me do it as well. Yeah. And that, yeah, no fun. And so, uh, part of the process of coming out of that experience, you know, is not only looking for answers for myself, but knowing that, wow, so many people are are just dealing with this same drama. And, uh, and I just wanted to do what I could to kind of help people get out of that trap. Because that's exactly what it is. So, yeah. And so you talk about what you noticed in patients, too, was that, you know, your clients and your patients and yourself is that like the more that we do to improve our health, quote unquote, the worse it gets. So what did you what did you notice, I guess, within yourself and within, you know, the people that you that you worked with over the years? 
Well, I'd say that, you know, one of the things I started noticing and because early on, and especially I think because I'm a chiropractor, so, you know, I'm not, I've never been mainstream medical. I've always been kind of on the cutting edge. And, you know, I was, I jokingly say, you know, I was doing the gluten and the paleo thing before anyone ever even really, before it really even had a name. Mm -hmm. I was doing gluten-free unnecessarily, by the way, I was doing gluten-free before they had any gluten-free products. You just had to like, you know, rough it. So I've always been, you know, I've always been like that. I've always been alternative for lack of a better word. And so, you know, getting into that world, I lived that for a long time, taught patients to do it. And if any of you are listening, I apologize, (laughs) but uh, taught them to do it. And then after a while, especially after the whole diet fiasco, what I discovered and what I kind of concluded was that I wish I had my old body back. (laughs) <laughs> from when before I was so health conscious uh-huh. and and what and I started to see that with a lot of other people, people that would come in with all this this list of problems, just a lot of metabolic issues and thyroid issues and anxiety and depression and autoimmune disorders and all this stuff going on. And yet you talk to them about, you know, what are you doing and what's going on? And they had, you know, it's it was the same list of everything they did. And, and, and I started to find that the people that did the most are ending up in the worst place. And so that's really what kind of got me started down that. And I've, I've since concluded and have figured a few things out in that it is true. I mean, when you, when you take up health as a hobby or, and I shouldn't even say health, I should say when you take up health, uh, fanaticism as a hobby, which a lot of people do, it usually ends badly. Uh, so it, you would be far better off. And, and one of the things I say all the time is, you know what, if all you did was focus on reducing stress levels and enjoying your life, <laughs> if that's all you did and never even thought about diet or exercise or anything else, you would end up being the healthiest and happiest person on your na- in your block on your block. So, and I, and I honestly believe that. And I think part of the way that we need to start getting our health back is to stop trying so hard because it's, it's in trying all this stuff that we're doing so much more damage than if we would just leave well enough alone sometimes. Yeah. You mentioned like your, your, your clients would come to you with kind of like this list of the things that they're doing. And so I, I want to get a little bit more specific in terms of what were some of those things, because I want people to who are listening to maybe identify with some of those things. Like I'm, I'm guessing, and I know I read your book, so I know, but like over, like just beating yourself into the ground with high intensity workouts, continually tweaking your diet, like cutting macronutrients. Like what kind of stuff did you see really being problematic with people and with when within yourself? Yeah, I'd say, you know, and and I could even just say what people are doing now because it's never been worse. I yeah. mean, <laughs> going back, I mean, it's it has not I don't know if it's going to get worse, but it hasn't been worse up till now. And it's it's the same thing. So as, for some reason, the healthosphere, all the current advice regarding health seems to have the same theme, and that theme is you need to pay for your past sins. You need to pay a penance. You need to make up for your indiscretions and your gluttony. So every piece of advice virtually that comes down the pike is difficult and abusive 
and I say abusive and I know that's a strong word, no, but I believe it I, is. I use that word. I use that word. I use the exact same word until when I talk about dieting, it's, it's abuse. Yes. Yeah. And, and just all of it, because every piece of advice that you're given, it runs counter to every biological urge you have. So in order to implement this stuff, and I could go down the list and here, I'll do it in a second, but it, you try to implement this stuff and you are, you might as well just sign a formal declaration of war against yourself, right? Because right? that's going to be the life you're going to live on a daily basis. And you can you have the pleasure of doing things all day that are very, very difficult and run counter to your own innate drives. And then at the end of the day, you can lie in bed at night and critique yourself and, and chastise yourself over how bad you screwed it up. And then tomorrow, how much better you're going to be. You know, and it's it's just a daily grind of what people set themselves up for. And so when you know, the most common things are you gotta you gotta eliminate a macronutrient. Okay. I don't care which one, it doesn't matter, right? You just gotta eliminate one of them. Yes. So it, whether it's protein or carbs or fat, you know, you can't have them all. You gotta lose something. And preferably you wanna eliminate enjoy the most. Because for some reason, I think you get bonus points for that, apparently. I don't know how this works. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, if your favorite food is pizza, then you need to give up um, carbs and bread and grains. OK, so whatever your favorite food is, you have to give that up for the rest of your life. All right. So that's that's number one. We have to do that. Then we have to start doing these starvation protocols, otherwise known as detoxes and cleanses. And which is really, I think, all they are is just, you know, uh, thinly veiled um, starvation protocols. And well, can I just stop you right there for a sec? Because I think sure. the, one of the best lines in your book was when you called detoxes and cleanses a dietary spanking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was really good. <laughs> right. Because if you if you're on a regimen, right, and you you go to a wedding or you're a family reunion or or you just break down and your your biology finally gets the best of you, which is a matter of time and you just cut loose and you eat all these forbidden things. Well, what do you do? day and you have to, like I said, you have to pay for your sins. So you have to go to confession and then you have to, you know, do your, uh, do a, usually a cleanse or a detox. So you got to take a three day, you got to go to timeout. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do a three day timeout where you just drink nothing but disgusting, you know, green, green concoctions and no food. So you have to be punished for this because obviously to be healthy, you have to suffer. That's the underlying philosophy between all this stuff. So like I said, you have to give up macronutrients, at least one, and then you have to starve yourself. You have to drink an amount of fluids that it's got to be really difficult to do it. Okay. So you have to drink, what is it? A, a half your body weight in ounces. So if you are um, a larger person and you weigh 250 pounds, well, you have to drink a gallon of water, right? And coffee, tea, soda, orange juice, that doesn't count, right? Just water and, and no water that you extract from food counts either. So when you factor all that in, you as a, you know, a new health, healthy person with a healthy lifestyle, you have to somehow probably consume two gallons of water in a day when you add it all up, which no one does. No animal would do that. 
but you are going to do it, right? Because someone told you to do it. Some health guru told you to do it. So you're going to, you're going to force it down. And I don't care if you're staple gun to a toilet because it's got a, the, the, the fluid has to leave you as fast as you're consuming it. So you can't even ever leave the bathroom. I don't care what the situation is. You have to do that, right? Because you need to get healthy. So you got that part of it, the overhydration. And then you have the exercise component of all this, which is usually is some kind of a boot camp or some kind of just ultra hardcore program. So a lot of the DVD programs that are popular nowadays are are just an hour a day, go throw up. And you're, I love it because, you know, they talk about rest days. They acknowledge that those are important, but their idea of a rest day is, oh, Monday through Saturday, you work out for an hour and 10 minutes. And then on Sundays, your rest day, because we shorten the, the workout to 55 minutes. <laughs> and then you start Monday again. And so just every everything you're told to do to get healthy is absolutely <laughs> like usually the worst advice ever for someone who is in a state of poor health. And it just and it just creates a bigger problem. It just drives people into the ground. It's a game you you don't have a prayer of winning. And when you fail, you'll just chalk it up to your poor commitment and you'll beat yourself up. And then you'll you'll pout for a little while and, and get depressed. And then eventually you'll you'll, uh, you know, summon up some motivation and you'll give it another go. And then it's just rinse and repeat. And I've seen people rinse and repeat this thing decades, spend their whole life fighting a battle that they had zero chance of ever winning. And it's, it's just tragic. It's getting worse. And honestly, it's just stupid. And that's why I'm trying my best just to, you know, get the word out to people. It's like, look, folks, there is a better way. I mean, your, your motivation at the core might be great. You know, you just want to be healthier. You just want to solve some issues or whatever, but this is not the way to do it. There's a lot of bad advice out there. And so what's the impact on our body, like the, the physiological impact of all of these factors, like obviously stress, and that's kind of, you know, the point of your, of your book, but how does that show up for people or how does that actually make them less healthy? I'd say the, the most common way it's usually through hormonal. Now there's a lot of tentacles on this octopus. So, you know, there's other ways that it will affect you emotionally. It, this will get to you. This, the cycle I just explained will get to you and it will start wearing you down and that will have real consequences. But just from a physical standpoint, it's primarily through hormones. And when we're talking about hormones, primarily the stress hormones. So adrenaline, cortisol, you know, those. So if, if you're living in a state of stress and by state of stress, I define that as anything that initiates a stress response in your body. So you got to be careful using the word stress because some people just only include, oh, what did something happen this week to freak me out? Or am I in the in the am I in the fetal position in the shower, you know, sobbing? They only especially men, men will do this too. They don't understand what stress really is, and they only assume stress is some some tragic event that most recently happened. And that's not the case. You know, how we spend our daily life is really at the core of this. For instance, if you, you know, through whatever reason, whether it's some genetics, some, some family dynamics, some past trauma, if you spend the bulk of your days in a negative place, maybe you're just resentful or angry or 
or bitter or frustrated or whatever. Those are very negative emotions and they initiate a stress response. You're going to have hormonal changes that occur, whether it's adrenaline or cortisol or any number of other things. And when you live in this state of stress, when you're, when you're swimming in cortisol and adrenaline on a regular basis, those are going to have tremendous effects on your health and well-being and on how your body changes over time. It's not about just having a rough weekend or you know going through a tragic event. That could certainly do it. But for the most, I'd say for most people, it's you know the the sum total of your typical day. If it's stress-filled, if you go to a job you hate every day and you loathe it, yeah, good luck. I don't care what diet you do, what nutritional protocol you pick, what exercise program you go with, good luck because you're you're not probably going to be all that successful because people that live under chronic stress, it just doesn't end well. And so to answer your question, yeah, cortisol, adrenaline, those are big things. And when you live and when you're exposed to those hormones over the long term, you start having changes to the body that mimic a lot of what people today are complaining of. So the low thyroid function, the weight gain, the anxiety and depression, you know, all the autoimmune diseases are just really big, addiction issues. You're talking about the human body can only take so much before it starts to break down. And, you know, I could go into <laughs> the the perfect storm that I think has arrived at this moment in time to kind of create this mess. Because it's not like the people living today aren't the first people to experience stress by any stretch. But I, I think this, the type of stress that we're all living under in this day and age, along with social media, along with just, you know, all the, it's the confluence of, of things have all come together to create a lot of uncertainty for people. And, uh, and when you're living with uncertainty, the human instinct is to gain control again. Mm -hmm. And so, and usually how people like to gain control is by changing your, or, uh, controlling your food intake. Yes. Or, uh, that's why a lot of people end up with, you know, different types of eating disorders. It's usually some kind of control issue, some kind of emotional trauma. It's usually not really about food. It's just kind of the outlet. You know, it's like rats gnaw on a piece of wood to relieve stress and humans go on diets mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I'm actually really curious to know, you know, in the realm I work in, it's predominantly women. And I think a lot of times when we talk about disordered eating behaviors, it's, you know, immediately we think it's, it's, it's happening more in women. And obviously, like there's the societal pressures on women. So in terms of, you know, conforming to a certain body size, but in your experience, do you notice this in across both sexes as this being an issue in terms of that obsession with health? Absolutely. And it's, you're right. It's like the, when you typically think of disordered eating and those kind of, you think of women because of the, because of the, the media and everything else and the pressure that's put on them. And, uh, but no, I, I see it. I see it swinging. It's, it, there's no, there's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no, uh, ah, I can't think of it, but anyway, discrimination, that's the word I'm thinking of. There's no discriminating now between the sexes when it comes to this, because think about it, guys are doing some really incredibly dumb things all in the name of looking a certain way. So, I mean, when you, back when I, my whole life doing like steroids was like, 
I mean, that's that was sleazy and scary, and no one did that except if you were maybe a professional athlete and you're just trying to get ahead, or you know, basically it was like a criminal element that did that. And now, in the last like ten years, you have guys that freely just let everybody know that they do steroids, and despite the fact of how destructive they are, there it's almost like men will 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 just look in the mirror and go, you know what? Is it worth it to me to shorten my lifespan by, I don't know, 15, 20 years if I can look like, you know, X? And they're saying, yeah, let's let's do that. That's a good idea. You know, so they're doing some incredibly I mean, they're they're doing the disordered eating as well. It may not be it may not look exactly the same, but, you know, they're spending ridiculous amounts of time in gyms and they're injecting steroids and they're doing really crazy things all in the name of looking a certain way. So, yeah, I don't I don't I think maybe it's social media that kind of leveled the playing field because now everyone has to kind of keep up with what you think is the, uh, you know, the gold standard now. So, yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. I think it's starting to level off as far as it includes everyone. We're all under the same pressure. Yeah. And so what I mean, you, you mentioned that health has gone from something that helps us to fulfill our purpose in life to being our purpose in life, which I thought was such a powerful statement, because that speaks to a big reason why we're so obsessed as a culture with health. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I have my theory that this is one of those I don't have studies to you know, prove why this is. But I have my just my own my own in, uh, inkling is that I think we live in a time of very we live in a peculiar time. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of uncertainty. And if I had to describe you know, what life is like in the 2000 teens, it would be uncertain. I mean, I don't care whether it's, you know, I don't know how old you are. I'm 47. So I grew up kind of, I'm a, I'm a seventies and eighties kid. And, uh, you know, is every generation had their challenges, but you know, I didn't have to worry about a lot of what people today have to worry about to people today. I mean, it's the governments are out of control. The economy is a big mystery. I mean, the whole world seems to be kind of coming apart at the seams, mm -hmm. you know, whether you whether you think it's in a good way or a bad way. It just seems like we're in a very weird time. And I think what it does is it creates a lot of uncertainty in people, a lot of just fear. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing and what we're witnessing with this obsession with health and diet and nutrition and exercise, I think all we're seeing is masses amounts of people trying to control their world a little bit. They don't know what I mean, I don't know anyone that would even venture a guess as to what life is going to look like in 10 years. I mean, who knows? I mean, I couldn't even imagine. And I and most humans don't like that. We don't like uncertainty, unpredictability. We like to be in control. And so one of the ways that we can control this is we can kind of delude ourselves into just pouring ourselves into this health thing so that we can focus, we can track our diet, we can track our calories and everything we consume. We can get, you know, like Fitbits and like track every step we take and how many flights of stairs we did. And, you know, and, and then if that's not enough, so if you're not someone with a weight or a, a weight issue or a, a something like that, then you could just kind of focus on the health version of this, which is like, all right, is the Wi-Fi in my family room 
altering my gut flora? And should I be sleeping on the lawn at night to increase my levels of free electrons? And, and you know, you could just bury yourself in this world of of health. And it sounds noble, right? Who doesn't want to be healthy? But what it does, I think, is it it's it gives a false sense of control, a very temporary and false sense of control for people you know, over around their world a little bit. And I think, uh, like on top of that, it's, there's this obsession with like superiority via the status of, of like a certain body or, you know, there's a certain like purity around (laughs) and superiority uh, associated with like being as like clean as possible, quote unquote. And I also think culturally, like we have, we really value this idea of immortality because we're so afraid of mortality or trying to avoid it. And so that and the uncertainty piece as well, like I feel like that's like all of those factors come into play here and drive this bizarre obsession with trying to be as pure as possible and trying to be like trying to control your outcome in life as tightly as possible via behaviors related to like food and fitness and trying to keep yourself like quote unquote as pure as possible. I totally a hundred percent agree. Like I said, there were more tentacles and that's one of them that I talk about a lot is it's, it's just, it's a psychological thing that we, that people are, are going through at this point that is just, it's a dead end. And I think you're seeing the pendulum swing all the way over to this obsession with diet, nutrition, and exercise, and all things health. And I think what you're going to find is when enough people put enough time and energy into that, and they come to their conclusion that, you know what, it was all a big lie. Mm -hmm. It was all a big mirage. It was a rainbow that I thought I was going to come to the end of, and I never made it. It, There is no end. Then you're going to see the pendulum, I think, swing the other way, where people start looking inside. They start looking at what, what really matters. You know, because I don't care what that's why I almost make fun of optimal health, because how do you know when you're optimal? You yeah. know, there's no, we, we don't come with gauges. So if you're if you don't know when you're optimal, you have to always assume you can get better. So it leads to this this neurotic life of like constantly trying to find the next thing that's going to get you even better. You know, and so you live your whole life doing this. And sometimes I like I I feel like asking people what you kind of alluded to. It's like I want to say you do realize you are going to die someday. Right. (laughs) You're not going to beat the system here. You know, so but irrationally, I think people, like you said, are almost out of this gut level fear. They're trying to, like, cling to something. You know, it's funny. I have a quick little story. This happened to me literally last week. And I was going through a lot of changes in my life right now as far as career changes and where we're going to live. And, you know, I just kind of I try to practice what I preach. And I got to a point in life where it's like, you know what, I've kind of been doing the same thing for a long time. Let's let's do something else or at least change it up. So I started doing all these radical changes and and uh, everything, I think, is pretty healthy and everything. But uh, anyway, so. A couple, uh, like a week ago, as we're going through this process and doing all these changes, it's all good, but we kind of had a little like stretch of a few days where we had a lot of uncertainty. Didn't know how things, are things going to go this way or are they going to go that way? We don't know. And it's going to dictate how our life goes. And so there was a couple of dicey days there where it's like on pins and needles waiting to see how this is going to break. So, and I had no control over it. Okay. 
I get to, I, I come home at lunchtime from practicing all morning. I get home to lunch. I go upstairs after lunch and brush my teeth. And I looked in the mirror and all of a sudden I got this big urge to go on a diet. Yeah. It's like it, it was out of nowhere. It was like, you know, I kind of I'm in the mood to just like hit a diet and like go for it again. Yeah. Now, it, it, and, I'm like, and I, I, I kind of staggered. I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Like I all I do all day is try to talk people out of doing this stuff. Where did that come from? And, and in the past, I would have been like, oh, this is good because now I'm starting to get my motivation. It's coming back. I'm starting to get like geared up and, you know, this is a good thing. But now I look at it differently and I'm like, wow, where was where did that come from? And, you know, and looking at it, it's like, I'll be damned, you know, going through a few days of uncertainty of not where knowing how my life is going to go, you know, in a certain way. And what, what does my brain do? Mm-hmm. My brain clings and reaches to something I've done in the past that gives me a sense of control. It's doing a diet. So what does it do? It th- it's like my, my brain said, well, see, um, he can't do squat about these other areas in life and it's getting a little uncomfortable in here. So let's have him focus on his daily ratio of mono to polyunsaturated fats and ways to ingest kale without vomiting. So he feels like he's in charge of something, you know, it's like, it's like your brain wants to like <laughs> distract you with these kinds of things in order to give you some sense, some emotional just some emotional relief from the from the uncertainty and the lack of control. And I think to get out of this game, to get out of the whole health obsession and the diet obsession and everything else, I mean, it's multifaceted. But one of the things I think that's key is we have to let go of the illusion that we are in control of anything here mm-hmm. because we're not. You have to get to the place in life and this could be a spiritual thing that you have to go through. It could just be some just good old fashioned growing up and some growth. But you got to get to a place in life where you can look at life and not need to know the end outcome. You don't have to know how this ends. You can roll with it. You can let go of having all the power, you know. And if you can do that, you're going to have a lot less internal, you know, uh, discomfort that's driving you toward trying to manage your world, you know, and and I think when you can reach that, the drive to diet and to become so obsessed about health, you know, will become much less. Yeah, that's, it's, that's so important right there, that part about learning to give up control in all areas of our life. And I think, I think that's one of the hardest things. I think people who really have that kind of type A, I need to control the situation, like tell me exactly what I need to do in order to get X outcome, have a really hard time with starting to let go of control. And a lot of it is like trusting just ourselves, trusting the world, (laughs) just kind of and settling into the discomfort of uncertainty. And I think that 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 process of giving up control takes a long time, like it's not something that you can just kind of switch on, at least in my experience, because I work with clients a lot on around that in terms of just letting go, letting go of control and easing up and loosening the reins in all areas of their life. Yeah. And it isn't easy. And unfortunately, I think for some, I think maybe for me, it took tragic tragedy to teach me that we, my wife and I lost our son a few years ago. And, uh, out of nowhere. Yeah. Thank you. And it was obviously that's a rough time. That's, that's not good. But I tell you what, you get some hard lessons. Like you just speed up that learning curve real quick and you come to the conclusion that 
You don't. And it's just the ironic thing is we don't have control. It's fact. <laughs> it's just a matter of how long does it take you to accept it? Mm-hmm. You know? And so when you go through something tragic where you did, you know, and dieters go through this too, you know, because how many people get to the point, and this is where I got, this is after my diet fiasco. This is where I found myself is, you know, I did everything they told me to do. I, to a T, I didn't screw anything up. I did exactly what they said and it still didn't work, you know? And so you got to get to a point where you don't, that's the, the biggest lie is that people think, you know, their health and their size and their fitness level and all these other things are completely a hundred percent up to them. Like they can make it anything they want. And it's, it's, it's a flat, it's just not true. <laughs> and it leads so many people in just a, to heartache and frustration and just, uh, just nothing good is when you think that, you know, just in the, in the size thing alone, if you buy into the lie that any of us can be a size, whatever, two, if you, with just enough hard work or enough commitment, or if you do the right things or eat the right things or do any of this, if you buy into that narrative, well, it's you, good luck because it's not, it, for most people, that's not even possible. Genetically, biologically, it's not even possible. But if you buy into that, that you are in control, well, guess who's to blame if it doesn't happen? Mm-hmm. You know, it's you. And it's no different than if I have blue eyes and somebody, some health guru convinces me that if I want brown eyes, I just need to do X, Y, and Z. And if I do it good enough and long enough and hard enough, I'll get my, I'll get brown. I want, you know? So, and it's, it's a lie. It's never going to happen. But if I believe that, then I'm going to live my life going, well, no, my eyes are still blue. Darn it. (laughs) I'll try harder tomorrow. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's just not a good, good way to live. And it creates a lot of stress. It permeates your entire life living like that. And all you're doing in the process is ruining your time of it here on this short life. You're ruining your experience and you're probably bringing about that which you fear the most. Because if you live in if you live in chronic stress, then it's your health is going to decline. Your emotional health is going to decline. It's just not going to go well. And you're setting in the harder you try, the more stress you generate, the faster you sink. And it's, it's like, it's truly is like quicksand. So, yeah. And so uh, let's quickly talk about intentional weight loss. Cause I know you talk about it in the book saying that like in the long term, it's not going to work for, you know, 97% of individuals, which lines up with, you know, the, the, the research that is in the books, health at every size, and that's been published by by other individuals as well. So I think that fact a lot of people receive, but they they don't believe it. So I, I've had this conversation with people, you know, I've said to them, like, you're not going to be able to intentionally lose weight in the long term, but mm-hmm. they're and they're not ready to hear the message, obviously. <laughs> but why why do you think people don't believe those facts? Like, why is it so hard to let that go? It's been drilled into our heads for a generation. And that's one reason. Second reason, there's a lot of shame, right? So Mm. this is the, that's the narrative. Okay. What you just said is the narrative that it's all, 
intentional. You can lose it if you want. Just stop eating so much. You know, it's real simple. Yeah. So if you don't, therefore, you are bad and lazy and gluttonous and all the bad things. And and I think the other part, and I've I've had this reaction from people. They've read like the book. They read the book, and they're like, yeah, it's all good and all, but I kind of felt a little, I don't know, kind of down afterwards. And I'm like, well, why? And they said, well, it's because it's never going to happen for me. Yeah. You know, maybe they are overweight and or maybe they're just bigger. And that's just how they are. And, and my contention is that your weight and size, among many other things, is probably 80 percent genetics and heredity. And guess what? You're not doing any either anything about either of those things. That's all done, man. You have probably about 20 percent influence on what you look like. And what most people do is take that 20% much, much worse. So you don't have as much control. But if I tell you that and you have set it up in life where it's like, you know what, I either have to weigh and be this size or my life is going to suck. Well, then you're not going to like my message because I'm basically saying, well, yeah, how you look and your size, and that's pretty much what you're going to be, you know, and if that's not what you want to hear, then you're not going to want to accept that message. All I, all someone has to do is come by and go, Hey, you want to look like me? All you got to do is, you know, this program, you know, and you're going to fall for it because it's what you want to hear. It's what you need to hear emotionally. So I look at it differently. I look at it as like, Wait, how could you be down from this? I'm basically I'm setting you free from this nightmare that you're living and you don't have to do this anymore, you know? Mm. Trust me, it it it's not and the other thing is if I say 97% of the people gain it all back and then some after X amount of time, well, you all everybody thinks they're the 3%. Yes. You know, that's that's going to beat the system, you know? And it's like, well, okay, but <laughs> yeah. Not likely. Yeah. So I, some people, sometimes people have to just, you know, they got to learn it for themselves. They got to go through it like, like teenagers, you know, you gotta, you could tell them what to do, but you know, they got to experience it, you know, for themselves. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> has to get to the, the place where they are just done with it. Like where the behavior, exactly. where the, where the, you know, the, the behaviors are causing more psychological pain than accepting the idea of accepting their body size. And I think that that happens at a different phase for everybody. And I also think that it's so hard because, as you mentioned in the book, you generally do quote unquote succeed in the short term and feel better. So after a few weeks and often in the beginning, a few months for people, they do feel better. And then it's not until the long term that things start to crash. And so we think that that were the problem and we need to keep tweaking because it actually did quote unquote work in the short term. And that's why it's so deceptive and hard to break free from. Yeah. It would be so much better if it just never worked from day one. Right. We'd be so much better off because it does, it gives you the illusion that you're succeeding. And then when it stops working, when you hit the plateaus, when you stop losing weight, when you stop, you know, the, when the symptoms start returning, whatever symptoms you were trying to fix, when they start coming back, you, everyone thinks to themselves the same thing. Well, I must, I need to do it harder. You know, it was, they try to recapture the magic. And so they double down, you know, what used to be, well, I'm just going to eliminate some of my carbs you know, then it turns into, well, that's not working anymore. So I better eliminate all grains. And then next thing you know, now I can't even have a carrot because that's too, too much sugar in that. And next thing you have to keep restricting 
your left, I jokingly say with you can't eat anything, but, you know, unsalted almonds and kale. And that's your last two things that you can <laughs> you can allow yourself to eat without guilt or having some kind of digestive distress because you've painted yourself into a corner. Yeah. And that's usually when it, what ends up happening. And it's it's not. And look, and if if some people have to play that game for 20 years before they get it, then, you know, I, I'm, my wife and I are very involved in the uh, recovery movement in our, in our area, just with the, the, the amount of addiction that's just skyrocketing. And, uh, you know, and it's kind of the same thing, you know, do some people that are ab- abusing drugs or addicted to drugs, you know, some, some of them get it pretty quick. They just have to get arrested once, you know, and it scares them straight and they can, they have their moment of clarity. And some people, it takes them 30 years. And they have to they have to lose everything 10 times over before they finally before it clicks. And so I think it's probably similar to, you know, dieters in that, you know, eventually you're going to get it. I mean, I don't know too many 85 year olds that are sitting around going, well, I got to get my weight off. I mean, eventually it, it occurs to you <laughs> out of hell with it, you know, and, and you you accept the fact that it's just not going to happen mm. um, the way you thought it was because it's for a lot of reasons, but primarily because it's such a flawed narrative that we've all adopted anyway. And it's like, it'd be great. Like like I said, teenagers are the same way. It would be so much easier for them if they would just listen to the people that have already been through it and, and just say, look, people just stop. I'm telling you, trust me, if you stop with the dieting, you're going to be so much better off. And you know, it's, it's not even arguable at this point, but yeah, some people probably just have to experience it you know, in their own, in their own way. But. I know, I know. So as we get closer, as we wrap things up, I want to, I want to just get, uh, you know, what you recommend for people. Like, I, you know, you had one simple question, which is, will this reduce my stress or add to it? Like, is that, is that kind of the, the best starting point for people who, who are moving away from chronic dieting and health obsession? Yeah, that is definitely, that's the foundational question. Now, and if you're not really well versed, you may not really know because, you know, you get some faulty logic where it's like, oh, doing a, doing a six day green drink cleanse gives your organs a rest and your digestive system a rest. Mm. And you, and you could hear that and go, well, yeah, that's, that's what I need. I need a rest. That sounds good. And, but that's not really what's happening at all. You're just, you're going through a starvation and starvation is a very stressful event. Go figure. So it, it might be tricky to even know, unless you know what does initiate stress and what doesn't, but going, taking it even a step back, I would encourage people, first of all, I would seriously focus on your mind health first and foremost. Now, if you're doing something absolutely ridiculous, then and you need to address something physical, then, you know, by all means do that. I mean, if you're, if you're killing a fifth of bourbon every night before bed, then yeah, you might want to start there. And then like, that's probably not a good thing to do. <laughs> but for most of us that live, you know, semi-reasonable existences, I would stop with the diet, with the food obsession, stop thinking about food and exercise and doing all this and start putting your focus on these things. Start focusing on what's going to make me happy in this life. How can I learn contentment? How can I become at peace in my own skin? How can I just enjoy my life? How, what, what would I do in my life that would just thrill me. And, and, and you want to aggressively go after that. So anybody who's listening right now, 
if you're thinking about going on a diet, changing your nutrition, doing any all those the things that they say to do to increase your quality of life, here's what I would ask you first. Are you going to a job that you hate every day? Are you living in um, financial crisis every day? Do you have an intimate relationship, a spouse or a family member that you're at war with? Because I would forget all the diet stuff. Go there. Because you know what? If you do go to a job that you hate every day, that is, is what you need to think about. Because you cannot live in a state of stress and expect your body and your mind to, to come out of it unscathed. It's going to take a heavy toll and you need to address that. And I don't care what you do, you know, lifestyle wise, diet, exercise, all that kind of stuff. I don't care what you do. It's not going to overcome, you know, living in a way that is just not congruent with what you want. You have to, and this is what people have a tough time because this is not easy. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, oh, go quit your job. You know, no big deal. I know it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. You know, if you have a mortgage and you have kids and you have responsibilities, you know, you can't just go quit your job for no, you know, and without a plan B. But what I would say is if that job is a source of stress, it's not worth dying over. And, you know, I watched my dad die from that kind of thing. You know, it, it happens a lot. And so if that is the case with you, you need to start taking steps to getting yourself out of that situation you know, whatever that may be. Maybe it's taking classes. Maybe it's putting your resume out there. Maybe it's who knows what it is, starting a business, doing something. And I tell you what, if you took action in those areas, you will feel so much better about yourself, about your life, about your hope for the future. And you know what, when you're focused on fulfilling, you know, endeavors like that, you know, there's just not a whole heck of a lot of room left to worrying about whether or not, you know, you had too many carbs today. You know, it, it just kind of crowds out the silliness. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's what I would really encourage people to do is really start looking at your life and asking yourself those questions and aggressively go after, don't just sit around and daydream. Don't just sit around and go, yeah, gosh, man, if my didn't have to go to that job, if I was really, you know, doing this for a living, boy, life would be so great. No, you need to get up and actively and aggressively go. That is ultimately what you need to do to start restoring your health and your quality of life and your emotional health and everything else. Yeah. And I think it's really important to mention here, like the impact of, of social differences on health, because, you know, for individuals who are living in, you know, um, who experience discrimination or who are marginalized, like it, it's so much harder for them to just say, well, I just need, I'm just going to go and find a new job, you know, because mm -hmm. they experience oppression and discrimination. And, you know, that the, the, that has such a huge influence on our health, too. So I think as people like you and myself who talk about mental health and mental well-being, we have to be pulling that into the conversation and the equation, because otherwise, we're not doing anything. If we know that mental health is so important to our overall health, 
and we're not, you know, advocating for equality and and justice and better access to healthcare and uh, advocating against discrimination in terms of, you know, pay, uh, wage disparity and, you know, in companies and advocate for more diversity in companies and things like that. I don't know. I'm taking this. I'm, uh, I'll get off my soapbox in a second, but <laughs> I feel like it's really important. And so I just I want to add that in there because I think it's super privileged to to be able to say, okay. I'm going to change. I hate my job. I'm going to change it, which is what I got. I did. And I, and I totally acknowledge that I had a lot of privilege to be able to do that and to be able to move across the country to somewhere that fed my soul. So I, I just, I think just for anyone listening to also see it from, from that perspective and know that we need people who are speaking to health to be talking about that too, because otherwise health is not going to be possible. It's only going to be possible for the privileged. Yeah, possibly, depending on what the issue is. Yeah, changing jobs, that's that's an example. And that's not easy for – I would say that's not easy for most people. So, yeah, there's going to be conditions. But, you know, I kind of look at it like we live in a very <laughs> – we live in a screwed up world. And most, I'd say, if, if you don't have serious – obstacles in front of you, you're the exception, you know, not the rule. And, you know, and, and we all have our stuff, you know, even if people that appear to have all the advantages, you know what, you don't know if they were emotionally abused growing up or if they were traumatized and they're crippled, you know, with, with whatever's going on in their life, you know, it's just, you know, there's a lot of people are in pain and, and I'd say most people are in some degree of pain and they got to overcome that. And it might look different from different people. And the one thing I would say is, you know, we can take these challenges that we all face, whatever they may be. And granted, some have more than others. And that's just the way the world works. If it turns you ugly inside, if it results in you being just pissed and angry and bitter. Well, I mean, that's sad, but it's, yeah, it's, you don't have to do that. And I would recommend you not do it. You know, we, I had, we, my wife and I had to bury our son from PTSD and addiction of uh, overdose from PTSD from the Iraq war. You know, it, my, my wife, God bless her. She responded by being an advocate in the uh, recovery community. And, and she's done some amazing things, you know, but you know what? A lot of people go through that stuff and we meet them all the time. Almost every day we meet parents that are struggling or suffering with their child's addiction issues or death. And you know what? They don't all react like that. And, you know, by the grace of God, you know, she was able to, and we were able to, but you know, we all get, <laughs> excuse my language. We all get the shit sandwich at some point. And how you respond is going to make, I don't mean this to sound like an Anthony Robbins seminar and <laughs> we're not going to do a, you know, a, a firewalk or anything after this, but, uh, you know, how you respond to these things, to the challenges and obstacles in your life is going to dictate it. Cause if you respond with anger and just bitterness, then it's going to eat you up and you will ultimately pay that price. It will take years off your life. You will not have the experience on this earth that you could have had. And I would submit you may not even make as much of a difference as you, you know, as you might have been able to, had you been able to channel that energy, those obstacles into something productive and something that brought light to the world, not darkness. Cause that's, I think that's what we see a lot of these days is just everything is, is responded to with anger and just, and just tantruming. And I don't know that that's, 
you know, the great greatest way to handle things. But anyway, my two cents. Yeah, I mean, I think it's how <laughs> I think I think anger can be I think anger can be effective when when channeled when channeled in a way uh, where you use it to, you know, build resiliency and, and spread and spread a message, you know, like I think. I think it can actually sometimes guide us to a more purposeful existence as long as it's not eating us inside. I think it's, I think, you know, it, it depends, like there's different manifestations of anger, but, you know, I think, I think sometimes it's just, it's just acknowledging that not all of this is an individual issue. And, and a lot of it is like a cultural and collective issue too. when when we talk about health. So, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, you know, the point I was trying to make there, but we could go yeah, on and on about that. That's like a whole other episode. So I know we got to end it here but can you just tell everyone where they can find more of you and where they can pick up a copy of your book uh the book is called wrecked and it's uh, available on amazon everywhere and um i have we have a website called health nut rehab and that's a place where you can go i post articles and you know different things like that but it I get more of, you know, this kind of information. And really the goal of that website is just to help people kind of break out of this health obsession, weight, diet obsession, and just kind of move on to more productive areas of life because uh, it's a dead end road, you know, run, doing this health, <laughs> the health obsession thing. It really, I mean, you know that, uh, and probably most of your listeners know that, but more people need to understand that because it's not enough just to tell them, hey, you should stop dieting. You know, you need to tell them why. Yeah. And when people understand why, then it makes sense and they have a chance of doing it. But, you know, I don't want to you don't want people to think that you're just advocating for people just not to care about their health anymore or to, you know, let themselves go to pot. You know, it's not about that. You know, it's about there's a better way. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's really just like, okay, the mental health. It's so important, I think. And it's just like, it's so neglected in our in our culture. Yeah, there's no pill for that. <laughs> there's no diet for that. Yeah. to make that all magically happen. It's it's that's he mental and emotional stuff is heavy lifting. And it's it takes work. It's usually uncomfortable. And you know, that's why people would much rather just keep track of their, you know, protein, carbs and fat yeah. and calories at the end of the day. It's much easier. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. It was a lot of good stuff. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Rock on. All right. Such good stuff in that episode. There's a couple things I want to mention just coming out of that. One is towards the end, uh, you know, you heard me mention that social differences play such a big role in our health. So if you are unfamiliar with the book Body Respect by Linda Bacon, I highly recommend you picking up and reading it because she talks a lot about that in that book. Other individuals who speak to that are Melissa Toller, who is amazing. She really talks about that in her work. And the women over at Be Nourished also speak to it quite a bit in their work too. And I know there's probably more, but those are the two that I'm going to throw out there in this episode. So I think that's really important for all of us to understand. And then lastly, the other thing I just want to mention is that I completely recognized that uh, Steve used a couple of words like, quote unquote, stupid, dumb, and crazy, which are ableist terms. So for those of you that are unfamiliar with that, that's something that I'm trying to do better of is, is just use different words in my vocabulary because I think that there's a lot of different words we can use like uninformed or ridiculous or absurd. And so I'm trying to be conscious of that. Obviously, when I'm in an interview, it's kind of 
awkward for me to like stop someone and be correcting their language at every point in time. So I did mention it to him on the on the back end. Uh, for those of you that are are wondering and maybe picked up on that. And uh, if you have feedback on how I can better handle that as an interviewer, let me know. Sometimes I do stop people and I'll say like, oh, we don't use those words. For example, whenever I start an episode, I tell the person we don't use the words, quote unquote, overweight or quote unquote, obese. And you probably heard Steve kind of like retract that when he when he did use that word. Anyways, that's just some more behind the scenes stuff of what I do on the show. And obviously, it'd be amazing if every single person I had come on here knew about all of the different ways that we're conditioned to speak language that is somehow promoting discrimination or that is ableist and etc etc so sometimes I can't just stop people all the time and correct words during the episode but I tend to then you know have that conversation afterwards and I try to have that up front but anyways I just wanted to add that piece to the outro here in case you were wondering and in case you're unfamiliar with that stuff too it's things that I'm trying to be more conscious of to just be a more supportive individual and and just be a better ally all right well wrapping things up you can find all of the links and resources mentioned including a link to Steve's book at summerinandin.com forward slash 104 and I will Talk to you again soon. Rock on. 